Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Strafford, Mike Palmer, Brandon Jones along with you. And in this week's episode, we're going to talk about an article from Ed Surge around blockbuster MOOCs. And the question they ask, could they shape the future of teaching? First and foremost, always like to get to know what Mike and Brandon have been up to. Mike, what's new in your world? Uh, I, I'm good. I'm, uh, you know, I, I caught the World Cup fever uh, uh, a few weeks back. And uh, happily, I'm still, uh, I'm, still, I'm still engaged with that. Uh, so... Love that whole uh, world uh, vibe that you get out of uh, out of the World Cup, and I, I think it's similar to what you get out of some of these big uh, Coursera and uh, edX uh, MOOCs, which we're going to be talking about in a bit today. Uh, the whole mass scale is something that's real, uh, real interesting to me, and uh, looking forward to digging in there. And Brandon, what's new in your world? Uh, you know, not too much. I'm uh, just, uh, I'm happy to be back with you boys. Yeah, man. Uh, it's good. This is, uh, it's a good place to be. And uh, the topic today is Blockbuster MOOCs. Uh, I believe it was our third episode. Double check the back catalog. We talked about MOOCs at, at the offset of this podcast. Uh, what seems like 97 episodes. Oh, wait, it is. In fact, about 96, 97 episodes ago, uh, where we just defined massive open online courses, uh, how they were supposed to be the future of education, right, Mike? This was supposed to be the, the next uh, big breakthrough. Uh, and now we are seeing a, a new article here from Ed Surge about Blockbuster MOOCs and the idea of uh, what's popular and having sort of rock star teachers. Do you see this as an evolutionary step? Do you agree with Ed Surge making this sort of article in question? Or do you feel like it's, it's grasping at straws to try to make MOOCs uh, happen here and MOOCs become bigger than they actually uh, have been? Uh, no, I think it's real. I mean, I, I feel like MOOCs were uh, a great example of the hype cycle, which we love to talk about, where um, a lot of hype back in 2012, I think it was called the year of the MOOC, uh, and then not as much traction against MOOCs, maybe not as much as was initially forecasted. So it went into this uh, trough of uh, disillusionment, which we like to talk about uh, as it relates to the Gartner hype cycle. Um, but I feel like they're still here and they are maturing. And what this article was, was showcasing was, uh, you know, the, the best uh, examples of these massive uh, educational efforts. And uh, what's really interesting, I think, is trying to understand the trends uh, behind the MOOCs that are performing best. And uh, this article which I thought was quite good, you know, uh, you know, in terms of yeah, a, a survey of, of it, because it could have, um, I think it could have been a little more surface, but I feel like they tried to tease out um, trends under the hood that are sort of uh, signaling which aspects of MOOCs are resonating with uh, the mass consciousness. Uh, and then by extension, I guess a lot of them that aren't resonating uh, are probably uh, in that trough uh, maybe forever. So, um, so yeah, no, I think, I think MOOCs are a real thing, maybe less big than they were initially hyped to be. Um, but I think there's a ton that we all can learn by seeing which of them are performing best uh, and, and maybe get into a little bit of, of the why. Uh, a good call there on the, the Gartner hype cycle. Those of you who haven't seen our episode on that, you can go back and, and view it. It's also uh, coming out again in August this year. So you'll hear uh, from us uh, on that in uh, August, 2018. Now, Brandon, do you see this as an upward trend for MOOCs? Do, is it uh, trough of uh, disillusionment and coming back out and maybe this is a step towards better understanding what part MOOCs will actually play in the future of education? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's somewhere on the hype cycle, right? I mean, like the, that's, that's the point of the hype cycle is that once you get on, mm -hmm. you are always somewhere, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
I don't, uh, I mean, the hype, they, they were at the very, very top, or the, their top of their particular curve was very high. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that they're still on the decline and will come out of their nadir. Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, possible they've already made it out of the trough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I think that um, the couple things that were interesting to me, I think it's a good article overall, was uh, seeing the types of topics that were popular. And I think there's, there's good material for us to discuss there. And then the monetization of it. Um, you know, I think that if, uh, if the providers and then the talent see yep. you know, that in, for some of these blockbusters, there's, you know, there's real money to be made. And mm-hmm. one of the citations is it's allowing lecturers, not tenure track professors who wouldn't otherwise be able to go to conferences to do so mm-hmm. on the, you know, sort of like the pocket cache that they get from, uh, from MOOCs. Um, I think that's important too, right? I've, I've often talked and haven't in a while. So list, new listeners, if you haven't heard it, talk about following the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's, um, that's an important part of this process. So not sure exactly where they are on the, on the hype cycle, um, but, uh, but it is, this is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do have another resource as well. Class-central.com is a, an article I share with Brandon Mike that takes a look at 2017 MOOC revenue and, and uh, size. And uh, we'll sprinkle in some of that data while we talk here about this Ed Surge article. But to Mike's point, it, it is an in-depth look and they do a good job of going through a couple of different topics. And uh, Mike, maybe we, we jump into the topics that do seem to be prevalent here. Brandon making that point. Uh, a lot of AI and uh, machine learning and the idea of Universities and companies, you see uh, Princeton and UC San Diego, Stanford, uh, and Microsoft in some of these top uh, offerings. Uh, it does seem like many people are seeking out uh, this extra work on AI and machine learning. Uh, is that intriguing to you? Do you think we can learn something from that and where people are searching for this sort of content? Yeah, very much so. And I, and I think part of why the MOOCs are interesting is that they get at uh, the learner who's just trying to get what she needs as opposed to what's built into a full undergraduate experience. So I feel like what is popping here is the emerging skills gaps that learners are trying to fill for themselves and then different types of educators, uh, whether it's a, it's a prestigious university like Princeton or Harvard or MIT or uh, a a, a corporation uh, like Microsoft or or Linux, a foundation, um, or even a, 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 another uh, player who's in here a decent amount is uh, San Diego uh, San Diego State or uh, Queensland uh, University of Queensland in in Australia. Uh, I think it is it is a pretty interesting mixed bag, all of whom are seeing this opportunity to expose learners to these sort of emerging capabilities, a lot of them around artificial intelligence and machine learning and data science. Uh, that's a macro trend that, that ain't going anywhere. Uh, and I think it's interesting to see it manifested here. The other trend that's here, which is uh, perhaps even more intriguing to me, is the self-improvement uh, aspect of a lot of them as well, where in addition to um, stuff about how to engage with technology and engage with artificial intelligence and how uh, sort of the digital revolution that we're in the middle of is gonna change everything. There's a lot of introspective courses and a lot of things about uh, learning how to learn, uh, which is one that we've talked about in the past, uh, Barbara Oakley's course, which uh, I think both Brand and I have taken. Yep. Um, it's, 
it's, it's interesting as well. So like, if you don't know that, you know, you need a particular uh, coding skill or aspect of data science or, or AI machine learning to sort of make yourself more relevant, you might want to turn that sort of desire to be better inward and think about how do I learn better or how do I uh, understand happiness? Like the, the positive psychology movement is, is huge. And uh, it's interesting that it did crack the top 10 and it's probably about 70, 30, uh, 70 percent, um, you know, technical digital skills and 30 percent uh, self-improvement. But, um, and, you know, for us at Kaplan, I think we, we kind of we nibble at both ends, you know, where, um, you know, we're getting into new economy skills uh, with with Metis and, and other boot camp efforts that we've done in the past, you know, around data science developer skills. Uh, and then I think more and more we're looking at non-cognitive skills and positive psychology and how do we help people stay motivated and confident. And uh, uh, I think there's a lot to learn from uh, the, 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 the real top titles in, in these two platforms. And I imagine they're reflective of broader trends around uh, MOOCs and micro-credentialing and uh, emerging skills gaps. So, um, so yeah, I thought there's a lot in there. I saw um, my interpretation of this. So it's the Coursera top 10 from the last 12 months and, and edX top 10 from, uh, from all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, my interpretation is that edX only offers 10 courses <laughs> because English grammar and style is yeah. on the list. Mm-hmm. It, there mustn't be an 11th course. How is that one? Like, so yeah. uh, most of them are, uh, as you said, uh, related to programming or Absolutely. Uh, digital skills. I saw a cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, yeah. that creeped into Coursera's top 12. It's all about the blockchain. We got to come back to the blockchain. We yeah. haven't done a full blockchain show yet. I know. So we got to come back I, to that. I'm that's ready. a separate topic. Somewhere there is a block in the chain that's recorded that we did do one. <laughs> I remember you you expounded upon it. I know what's up. Yeah, briefly. I'm the I'm the lecturer in this in the <laughs> that's course. How get, yeah, that's how you get your your conference that's, money. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I get a little little pocket yeah. cash. Yeah, I went back there. Yeah. Um. The uh. Uh. But that that to me that, that one was sort of stood out as um as as being which one of these things not like the other because you're right it's seventy thirty the the third there are a lot of um well being and sort of um self-help, uh, self-improvement mm-hmm. ones. You're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess English grammar and style. If you are ELL, an mm-hmm. English language learner, that may be a version of sort of self-help improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm imagining it just being like a bunch of grammar nerds though, yeah, uh, who are taking it uh, to figure out um, whether the University of Queensland, uh, who uh, produces it, uh, uses the Oxford comma. Right. Uh, that's uh, that's 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 in my in my um, fantastical world. That's what I'm imagining. Yeah, it's it's also interesting. I, I well, first off, it's interesting uh, Oxford comma in or out. I, I'm I'm 100 percent in. A hundred percent in. Okay, good. good yeah, good, thank you. Okay, Dan's giving good. us the thumbs up. All right, good, good, good. So we're there's unanimity here. We enjoy uh, diversity of thought. But, we do, but there's none here. None here, yeah, and yeah. not on this topic. Comma. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, I think it is it, it is interesting to understand like the distribution uh, that's available to these um, these platforms too, because it does seem like edX might be hitting a narrower audience than say uh, Coursera. And, uh, and then there's many folks out there who are looking for skills like these, but they aren't actually looking to MOOCs to find them. So they're, they're maybe going to a boot camp. they're, they're, uh, they're just buying a book, 
uh, or increasingly, I think they're also going to YouTube. Um, and, uh, you know, I spent a little time on YouTube in prep, prep for this show just to see, is there, like, oh, I bet you, I bet <laughs> you did purely, yeah. purely research for the show. But I was trying to figure out like, you know, what sorts of learning assets do people look for on YouTube? And it's very different right. than this, although this would be part of it as well. So like, I think, um, trying to understand, you know, how do you meet the learner where she is and then what types of skills are people looking for in a MOOC or a micro-credential versus what they would get as an undergraduate versus what they might just get when they want to learn quickly how to do something. Uh, there's this, you know, profusion of, of platforms and marketplaces to find access to those resources. But I think a lot of it is limited by who knew to go there to find that thing. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the, um, the YouTube is interesting. I, you, you got a chance while I was, I was not here. So I missed my, my yearly Meeker uh, uh, opportunity. Yeah. I may have to, I, I may have to just, I'm just going to start to, to, to layer in some, yeah. some Meeker report references. Please. But the uh, yeah. 1 billion learning videos watched on YouTube mm -hmm. every day. Yeah. That number to, that number to is is incredible. Yeah. Right. But how many like, of them are how do I tie my shoes? Like that. Like, don't hate Dan. Yeah, Dan. But that's what a much I would I would I would wager. Uh, I would I would venture a guess that that it's how do I fill in the blank. I would wager that like a third of them are you specifically <laughs> uh, learning how to tie your shoes. Um, but uh, go Velcro. Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's, that's the point. answer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to your point that like there are there there is this need and it is satisfied in a number of different ways, not mm -hmm. just through MOOCs. I think that the MOOCs and we'll talk a little bit about the um, I think probably the education entertainment uh, uh, in a little bit um, that dynamic. But uh, the the what a MOOC should provide in addition to you know assessment and credentials uh, for some of them is um, it's the, the sort of a, a continuity of care that isn't present in just a, even a series of, of YouTube videos mm -hmm. by the same video talent. Uh, so I, I think there is a different job to be done that it can do differently than just going to YouTube, but you're right that there is that same uh, itch as being scratched in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And, and I think my point is more that the person who goes to the MOOC is looking for something more than the person who goes to YouTube in that, you know, they want to be, they want to get credit for having gone there and they want to be understood by the system that provides the help. And they're generally getting a more integrated, full form sort of set of assets that are actually meeting some learning objectives. Yeah, I wonder if that's true. I think it probably is. Mm -hmm. But to, to put out a, um, a, you know, a competing uh, hypothesis, I saw data, and this is a while ago now, so it may no longer be true, that the population, the, the demographics for MOOCs skewed a lot older mm -hmm. than um, the population that for, for um, the demographics for YouTube, sure. which is everyone, but yep. skews younger. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think you made this point better than I will restate it, but it's about um, you know, knowing what's out there. And so I, I wonder if some people, especially in the early days of MOOCs, didn't know that some some people who were just there as hobbyists didn't know that they may be able to satisfy those those mm -hmm. interests through other freely available sources. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but interesting. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that the we 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 put MOOCs on blast for their for all of the letters. I, I, I although I guess if it's credentialing, we can be okay with the C. Yeah, open is good. 
massive is open it, but is open course? does open intend to be what's is open free I, yeah I that's it, yeah their payroll right. a lot of them are moving towards paywall which is another point in this article that's what i mean um, right, yeah. right. um so massively open cheap courses or mpoc massively cheap online oh okay yeah yeah <laughs> can we get the oxford comma into the title yes probably got yeah. a third one yeah. in there so yeah. Brandon, just to, to get to this uh, on your, your point here, a 2017 study edX was a part of uh, shows that uh, demographic, demographic statistics of note include a median learner age of 29 years old, a two to one male to female ratio, 67 male, 33% female, and significant participation from learners in other countries, 71% international, 29% from the US, which may explain the course you were talking about being so popular on edX. Uh, the international students uh, making their way in there. But that's from edX uh, from 2017. Yeah. And I, I would guess that the YouTube learning videos skew wicked young. Yes. Um, so I, that's offered without um, citation or data. But that's that's my suspicion. Just knowing one, the world is young. Yep. And, you know, the there are most people around the world. We talked a little bit about, about this during our World Cup uh, episode, actually. But most of the young people in the world are learners full-time sure right so that'd be my that'd be my guess i only occasionally refer back to the shoelace tying uh youtube things <laughs> just when i'm having trouble right as opposed to when i was first learning i would have been watching it relentlessly Relentless. of, all, yeah. of all the references i could have made like i right. know that one is just gonna live on that number. Time. yeah but i mean there's a lot of cooking stuff too on youtube like sure. you know i mean there are some things that are just sort of almost purely utilitarian and also right. short form um it does remind me also when we talked about digital readiness, where like, I think there was research uh, cited by Pew when we were uh, going deep on that digital readiness report about um, many folks who are not digitally ready just because they're unaware of the fact that these assets exist. They, people might just think all there is is YouTube. Like I'm not, whatever I'm going to learn is going to be what I can sort of search and discover on YouTube as opposed to stuff that's curated by Stanford or uh, DeepLearning.ai, which is all over all over the top the, ten, the Coursera list, yeah. yeah, which I guess is partly powered by their founder, right? Like, so uh, I think that's that's his venture, and a lot of like sort of the design intent of uh, Coursera in particular. Some of the the courses that have really popped on Coursera since it first launched have been very uh, oriented around machine learning and uh, and artificial intelligence. A couple of other intriguing things here I want to make sure we do get to, and this is a topic I'm sure we'll come back to uh, as we go on. Uh, one is around uh, sort of big university, small university um, being a level playing field here for MOOCs uh, that uh, you have smaller professor, small universities from, sorry, professors from smaller universities who are, can jump into the fray here and teach mm -hmm. these large courses and get their names out there. But also they point out in this article, a new kind of instructor, the idea that it's not only about the, the sage on the stage or the person initially teaching, but the playback and sort of what we tech sometimes call uh, teaching assistants or, or what it might be, the people who are helping on async viewings, I think is really intriguing here and thinking of that delivery differently. Mike, do you think that's a, a something that really needs to be honed in on, on understanding uh, the reuse of this content, like the almost the syndication of the MOOCs, to your point, to a YouTube or somewhere else as time goes on? Yeah, absolutely. And even how you think about teaching talent and how you think about uh, digital readiness among instructors and how you think about, um, you know, uh, side hustles and the gig economy for people who are just really smart and have something to share the rest of the world. I think that's why 
a lot of people, uh, a lot of teachers come to Kaplan because we want to help others uh, learn better. And now that these new uh, technologies and capabilities are emerging where you're like, oh, wow, that stuff that I actually enjoy doing and find fulfillment from can actually be a meaningful uh, revenue stream for me. That's pretty exciting. And uh, that's something maybe, you know, our listeners, uh, you know, I would encourage folks to at least to understand what's out there, uh, both as learners and also potentially as course designers or TAs or uh, whatever, you know, like it may seem daunting at first, but I think once you get in there, you're going to start learning a little about it. And there's probably some utility that you're going to find from this golden age that we're emerging into. It's just, uh, there's just so much stuff out there that uh, a lot of it turns into a curation problem. Like, how do I know which thing is right yep. for me? Uh, and that's something I think we at Kaplan have been trying to figure out. Maybe there, maybe there is a role for us to, to help navigate this really complicated world uh, that we're all living in. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's interesting also, so plus one of that. I think it's also, you mentioned this too a little bit, Mike, but the sort of the compensa- compensation scheme mm-hmm. for how this works. Yep. You know, I think over time, it's going to be interesting to think about in the value stream, how much is the initial on-screen talent providing? Mm-hmm. How much is, um, if that person is different than the writer or the director or the producer, we can get to the Absolutely. part here in a second, mm-hmm. how much is that sort of collection of people providing? Mm-hmm. And then if it's <clears throat> run pseudo-synchronously in, you know, in syndicated, how much is the live sort of on the side TA mm-hmm. providing? And mm-hmm. you know, right now, from, from at least from this article, it sounds like most um, MOOCs are, are compensating the initial talent most heavily. Mm-hmm. And then some people are just paid sort of hourly as they, as they go on. But where, where that value is being delivered to learners over time, I, I, I have a hypothesis that the person who's there sort of live shepherding people through the experience is more important than, than we think. Not more important than I think. I think it's exactly as important as I think it is. But, yeah. uh, but more important than, than, than some think. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. And then those skills are going to be evolving and right. changing on the fly. So it's like, even if you're a fantastic lecturer, it may make sense to see whether you could coach a synchronous session of somebody else's lecture, particularly if you're interested in that path, as opposed to like, a, you know, the great news is there's new openings for folks who really just want to teach and that that's what they love. But just exploring like having a growth mindset towards the ways in which you might teach and the skills you might need to develop to get better um, is going to be really interesting. And then hopefully uh, organizations like Kaplan and others who are, are of similar minds will be experimenting to identify those new and emerging skills as well so that we're not only helping the people who could have taught to a 200 person lecture hall. Instead, they're teaching to a 5,000 uh, person MOOC, like there's also the people who maybe never would have taught who are going to do an amazing job curating a, a small group and like serving up, uh, you know, interesting articles in Slack. Like it's like, yep. there are, I think the competencies are the same, but the ability to translate them into new media and digital formats is, is, is what, uh, what certainly gets, gets me going. 
Wanted to close it out talking about the education versus entertainment angle. I do think there's a, a, a path forward of looking at TV here for uh, monetization, meaning syndication uh, and how syndication works and residuals work for actors and directors and all the like. And maybe they can look at that and even we can in the future. But Brandon, the education versus entertainment or vice versa, entertainment versus education, what's more important? Uh, how do you get butts in seats to an extent? How do you keep people coming back? Uh, seems like an integral part of what we've talked about here a lot. Uh, about education at large. MOOCs seem to have the same challenge. What'd you take from this article and what do you sort of high level thoughts around that topic? Yeah, I think it's a false dichotomy. I think, um, uh, and you know, I, I appreciate that they address it. So um, not, uh, not, there's no bus to be thrown under here at Zurge. Um, but, uh, you know, I think about this from, from our own production uh, of, of, you know, learning assets, be they synchronous or asynchronous video. And, I think I think mostly what they're talking about is just good production value, mm -hmm. and you know the Barbara Oakley learning how to learn is is offered as an example where you don't actually need good production value. But would her course have been worse had there been better production value? I, I don't think so. So I think that when you think about making it fun, making it accessible, having good video, good slides like that, that's actually a version of instructional design mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, we've talked a lot about on this pod um, over the, especially in our early like edutainment days, yeah. we were just jamming on that word. It was yeah, like man. our first five episodes, go check it out in the back catalog. Um, but uh, I feel like we asserted that, that learning can and should be fun. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I think it's, uh, it's just a little, it's a both and. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the risk really is just around, uh, you know, uh, cognitive load and, uh, you know, loading up on, uh, on like empty calories, you know, stuff that yep. feels good, but doesn't actually teach you the idea that learning, you actually do need to be challenged to grow, uh, and figuring out, you know, good ways to challenge the viewer, the, the listener, the, the game player uh, to actually achieve the learning objectives. That that's just good instructional design. Yeah, and I think you know MOOCs have the 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 thing that that MOOCs have been um, ragged on for, including by us, is their their extremely low completion rate. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I would I would offer if there's great learning to be had in an episode, and you know it falls in the forest, no one's there to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not effectively great learning. So I, I think those two things are related. You got to keep people coming back. And even if you need to throw them a few jelly beans to get them to eat the, the spinach or whatever it is, like that's, that's not, um, it, you, can, you can have it be just confectionary and that's a problem. So I think that you're right to be thinking about empty calories, mm -hmm. but you, you need some, some sweets uh, along with the educational treats. Yeah, don't just avoid spinach jelly beans. Yeah, it's like a, like a birdie's bot. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With that, we're going to leave it right there. Thanks so much for listening, as always, to Trending in Education. Find us on Twitter. Find us at trendingineducation.com. And find us uh, to tell us what you think about MOOCs and whether you've taken courses recently. Love to hear from you on Twitter and on Facebook as well. Until next time, you've been listening to Trending in Education.